ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I have been talking to a lot of people about events that have been happening in and around Australia, particularly around Bolt Action over the last couple of years. We like to support the local community here and talk about the great events that encourage people to come out and play and grow the Bolt Action scene. Because for many of us, going to events is that opportunity to get away from the the grind of daily life and to you know guaranteed get three to five to six depending on the size of the event guaranteed games in with people who are generally as passionate about these things as we are you know you can find like-minded gamers you can see brand new armies that you might be inspired by and hey the most important thing you can have fun but i thought it would be important to reach out and to talk to an old friend about an event, in fact, two events that have happened across the pond in the UK, because we often talk about the UK meta. We talk about the US meta, but I thought it would be a good time to reach out to talk about one of the big warlord events, but also to talk about a really cool, innovative event structure that we may be using possibly in Melbourne at some point next year, Uh, that is brought to us by one of my oldest gaming friends. Now, if we're bringing on one of, in fact, probably my first friend in Australia, even though he's across the planet now, and if we're going to talk about one of the founding, if not pretty close to founding members of the gaming club that adopted me when I moved here and turned me into the gamer that I am today, of course, I must be talking about our good friend, Al Unicom. Al, welcome back to Cast Eyes. How you doing, brother? I am always really humbled by your fantastic intros, as a lot of your guests are, uh, the way you talk them up, because then I'm, I'm always wondering, you know, it was like, has he got somebody else that he's, he's recording this podcast with tonight? Um, but no, Brad, look, it's a real pleasure to be back with you. Uh, brother let's you know, I... let's let's talk about the bona fides because you've got a few uh you are the wtc scottish captain or you have I been am. over the last couple of years i am you That's are a huge member of the uk bolts action community um I am. You, particularly up north uh in the in the scottish section of it mm-hmm. um you have won many upon many painting trophies across a ton of game systems. You have your own Blood Bowl podcast that I'm sure we'll be plugging at some point shortly. At some point, we will. Without a fail. In fact, why don't we do that now? Al, please tell us about your podcast because it is awesome. Well, it's it's the other passion, other gaming passion I've got outside of um, Bolt Action is Blood Bowl. And myself and my friend Phil Cairns, um, our podcast is called Two Guys, One Dice Cup. We've mm-hmm. been recording now. I think we released episode 30 about a week ago. And it was right. one of those one of those beautiful things that starts off during lockdown. Um, 
as a reason for myself and Phil to to stay in touch. I mean, we we're good friends, but we needed to stay in touch anyway. And so we thought, well, why not put a little bit of structure to it, record it, and thirty episodes later, we're, we've been really consistent in our recordings, and our number of uh, listeners grows, um, you know, quite steadily, month on month. So That's awesome. it's an easy it's an easy format. Yeah, mostly focused well, at the the beginners. Thirty is a huge milestone. They say that twenty one times of doing anything makes it habit forming, and it's it's often the case that podcasts don't make it past episode seven. I read an article about how to podcast years ago. And they said, if you can make it past episode seven, you are more likely to succeed in the long run. And you guys have clearly passed that four times over. It's just a wonderful format and it's a great show. And folks are interested in blood bowl, two guys, one dice cup. You should listen to it. It's good stuff. Yep. And as I said, the, the focus is on, beginners you know the the main body of it is called the rookie coaches section mm-hmm. and each episode if, if it's an episode we are reviewing a team myself and Phil talk about tournament rosters we talk about league rosters and the rosters that we make we never show each other them beforehand so whenever we record we tell each other the rosters we get the live reaction and sometimes sometimes we are so completely different and sometimes mm-hmm. and it is usually me that does something absolutely wild and it just gets shot down but it's an enjoyable podcast and uh, look i'd be lying if i said i didn't talk about bolt action quite a bit on it um you know so it's it's something we're always going to grow in the future brad and it's good times exactly and as someone who honestly hasn't played blood bowl in years and yet has the new edition on my shelf and really need to play again. I've listened to quite a few of your episodes and enjoyed it, even though I haven't played Blood Bowl maybe the last three editions. It's still a great listen. So good. I'm glad. But now we're not here to talk Blood Bowl. We are here to talk bolt action. And though you do talk bolt action on your show, and I do enjoy when you do, you are a bolt action monster. Not in a like scary way, but you are the complete package. You're a beautiful painter. You're a competitive uh, player and not in the way that, you know, some people might say, oh, I don't want to play that guy. You know your business, Um, but you're also able to play someone and have them enjoy the game and play in a way that will win the game uh, quite regularly, which I have always enjoyed about you as a player. But you also work really hard to build your local scene. So in my eyes, and I am embarrassing you here, I know, you're kind of the total package of bolt action in Scotland. I love it. Uh, So that is why you are here today. Thank Um, you, bro. Because I want to talk about two events. But the first one I want to talk about is your event. And as a lover of 80s toys, I can't go past the name. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Megatron. 3000. I love when other people say the name of the event. It just makes me smile so much. You know, when you're, a, when you're, I have a bolt <clears throat> action size Megatron on the back shelf over there, buddy. So I know you when, do. whenever you want to get Weird War, I'm ready. It's just with, with so many events having some, you know, operation, you know, insert generic mm-hmm. term here. Uh, I just needed something different. I just needed something palate cleansing and fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I've told the story a few times to people, but uh, the name originates from when uh, I think it was like 2017, 2018 on the east coast of the US. 
there was these huge winter storms that were just smashing New York, the whole eastern seaboard, and they were always called them, um, you know, Storm David or Grace or mm-hmm. Kelly or some rubbish like that. Yes. And I remember there was a I don't know if it was like CNN or Fox News interview, you know, that the wind was howling and they were interviewing some guy out in the streets of New York and were asking him, it's like, why are you not taking shelter? And the guy was insistent. It's like, oh, look, these storms are nothing to worry about. You know, Storm David, he doesn't scare me. But, you know, if you tell me that the Megatron 3000 is coming, I'll get out of there. And <laughs> that, that always just sat really well with me. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to use that somewhere. Uh, and that's that's where the Megatron 3000 came from. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now, Megatron 3000 is actually something you want to go to, not run from. It is a bolt-action uh, tournament format that is really, as I said before, something original and special. Uh, it uses the typical format and turns it on its ear. A lot of events these days say you must only use reinforced platoons. Uh, and so you can't often use all of the wonderful theater selectors that appear in all of the campaign books, all of the theater books that Warlord has put over time, which means it turns off a huge number of unit options in the game and gets rid of a lot of theater selectors that really do make the game interesting. Now, when the game first came out, obviously a lot of people talked about, oh, theater selectors aren't balanced. And the one that everyone talks about is CeeLo Heights. And I've, I've done it. Because you can take two tanks in a Soviet army in one platoon. But you have embraced the theater selector for this. But I think you've proven that you can do it in a way that isn't necessarily abusive and is encouraging for all kinds of players. The approach to Megatron 3000 was to utilize theater selector only. And 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 again, the motivation for this came from one of the local players that I, I know. And he asked me, what, he was just mouthing off one day. He's like, why do we even bother buying these books, these campaign books? We never get to use them. Um, and that, that sat in the back of my head for a long time. Mm. So Megatron 3000, the format was each player could bring one single theater selector. Only theater selectors could be selected or chosen from the campaign book so any theater selector in an army book uh, was was ruled out so the focus was very much on all the expansion books the biggest adjustment was that once a theater selector was chosen then that was it it was off limits to everybody else so there was only ever going to be one of your army there um you know and when i started this process i had a, a I thought I had an okay knowledge of theater selectors within the campaign books. And it turns out that as people started to select them, I went to, the, you know, I've got all the books, you know, mm-hmm. I went to look at it and some of them are just like, wow, you've really dug deep to find this one. Um, mm-hmm. The target, it was uh, 1,250 points. I, mm-hmm. I put a dice cap on of 18 order dice. 18 order dice at 1250 is a good it's a good number. I've played in a lot of, you know, events at that points level, and you tend to find that the best the best armies are around eighteen order dice. Yeah, and it was also a safety net for myself with with that lack of um, knowledge of what was in the theater selector, you know, vortex. 
I didn't want anything jumping out crazy. And it's a good thing I did because there is a theater, <laughs> there is a Japanese theater selector out there. I think it's an Empire in Flames where you can actually take unlimited numbers of um, inexperienced militia units. They're not zero to six. They are. You can take as many as you like until you run out of points. Uh, so I'm glad I nipped that in the bud. That could have been yeah. a little bit wild. Um, but you know, those those were the key principles that once a selector was taken, that's it, gone. So if if there was one that was uber powerful, it, you're only going to ever have one of it. I mean, one of the big problems we have as tournament organizers sometimes is nailing people down early in the process. So you have a hard idea of numbers so mm -hmm. that you're able to provide trophies, prizes. Yeah. You have you have a budget to work with um, because we as gamers, you know, sometimes it takes a little time to get us to sign up for things and then to get ready and people wait to the last minute. But by having this and getting in and the first person to get a selector gets it and that's it. That drives yep. people to register early. This, this really did drive ticket sales. I think I'd sold 20 tickets within uh, seven days, um, exactly. which was awesome. But within that, before the pack even went live, I realized that, you know, from my own experience, whenever I'm going to a tournament, I'll buy the ticket, but I'll never really decide mm -hmm. on what, what army I'm going to be taking until maybe a week before the list is due. Mm-hmm. And like I'll know the nation, you know, if it's going to be Germany, it'll be Germany. But I'll tinker and you know tweak the list, and I won't finalize it until I have to send it. Mm. And then I thought, well, whoa, hang on, man, you, I've just locked all these people into a theater selector. What happens if they change their mind? So I created uh, what is now like some sort of weird cultural phenomenon called the admin fee. And uh, <laughs> you know, I think in in, in Australian currency, it's like five dollars. You know, it's the yeah. price of a, a an okay coffee. You know, so for an, a non-refundable admin fee, a player could change their selector. You know, and it, and it stopped people. You know, for whatever reason, I thought it's like, what happens if somebody picks a selector with no intention of using it and then just sits on it to stop other people? But it's like that's that oh, that could not have happened. Just there's so many selectors out there. Um, mm -hmm. But I wanted people to have a mechanism that they could change it, and that and that money uh, went straight into the prize pool. Brilliant. To help to help with everything that you said with trophies and helping sponsors and you know different prizes and stuff, um, and I, I had no idea if the admin fee would be popular. Uh, and for for some of the Megatron players that went, you know how popular it ended up being. Some of you guys just just had money to burn, 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 burn. <laughs> Crazy kids. Well, but hey, that just supported the event, right, and brought home a better event for everyone. So that's it awesome. Really did. With that, if someone changed theater selectors, and I, I've heard you speak about this format on Bo's awesome uh, bolt action listing YouTube channel, mm -hmm. but you, a question I have is if a player switched, I assume the one that they'd used previously went back onto the block, so to speak, so other people could use it? 100%. Yep. So if they released okay. a selector, it went back into the pool for, for players to choose. And, you know, it's, it's really admin heavy. You know, I can imagine keeping keeping up to date with with the selectors yeah. and keeping the the player list up to date, so that people could see who's attending the event, what mm -hmm. um, what's the name of their selector, what publications it from, what page is it from, mm -hmm. uh, what page number is it on. On the flip side of that, it gives people later on an idea of what armies are going to turn up. You know, so they can see 
what's what's looking popular, what's not, and uh, you know we got a huge spread. And I think the final the final result, the top five players uh, had selectors from five different books. Yeah, there was there was nothing in common with with any of them. It it, it was it was really cool. And when I put the tournament pack out there, I didn't mention the words competitive, historical, mm-hmm. or beginner. It was just Good. event. And mm-hmm. I saw the the usual competitive faces there that I battle against, you know, every month. Mm-hmm. I saw the historical faces from the different sort of historical groups around Scotland. I saw some of them there. And I saw faces that I hadn't seen for a long time, players that, you know, during lockdown or after lockdown had drifted to other systems. Uh, they decided to to have a go to come back. Uh, and then there was the, you know, the the newer players, the beginners. Uh, I made them all put their hand up and I think there was like seven or eight players who had never been to a bolt action tournament before ever. Out of a awesome. field of um the final number was twenty eight, if I remember. Mm-hmm. You know, you the usual dropouts happened, like we had thirty six tickets sold life and that's you know that's how it is um so all these different players mingled played had a good time and we generated uh what i called on the day a clean result Mm -hmm. Um, i didn't need to use a tiebreaker until i got down to like 21st or 22nd place Uh, and even then the tiebreaker was just a quick it was a quick order dice count it was really smooth yeah um so yeah couldn't be happier um with the That's with awesome. the with the event and i suppose ah, this is the odd one it's the point scoring system within the event that mm-hmm. that was also different and i really hope i remember it yeah five, five points, points for, for a win, win three points for a draw one point for a loss yeah so that that seems quite normal but then on top of that there was the the classic secondary objective on every table mm-hmm. and that was worth two points killing your opponent's HQ was was worth one point and Mm -hmm. keeping your own HQ alive was worth one point. Mm -hmm. So even for players that were going to lose the mission, they still had things to fight for. If, you know, if they managed to get the secondary objective, kill Mm -hmm. their opponent's HQ, keep their own alive, then they're going to walk out of there with um, five points for a loss. Exactly. One for losing two for the secondary, and then one each for the bonus. So five five points for a loss. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> It always meant that there was, uh, you know, a, a, a reason to keep fighting, to keep playing, just to scrape, scrape those extra um, battle points. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, proved, it, it proved fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about that because we don't use the secondary objective here but it is something you commonly see in a lot of events in the uk can you explain Mm -hmm. that for folks who may not be familiar with what that means so regardless of the mission that you're playing there is a secondary objective placed on the table how does how does that work as far as placement who places it and what's determined as that if that makes sense uh well the secondary objective it's usually uh, a poker chip Mm -hmm. you know so it's easily identifiable on the table and it'll be something very different from what your normal in-game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, objectives will look like. And it's placed by the tournament organizer. Traditionally, it will be placed somewhere on the center line of the table, you know, so that it's quite neutral in its sense. 
obviously that does change though if um depending on the mission so if it's something like sectors and it's a quartz deployment you know that that can adjust the game but i would say 90 percent of the time there's no great issue with where the secondary objective is placed mm-hmm. uh, you know, some some players, some sort of tournament organizer, sorry, they'll treat it more as a tiebreaker. Yeah. You know, so if, you know, regardless of your win-loss draw, mm-hmm. um, whoever got the most secondaries during the course of the day, that would be your first tiebreaker. And then mm-hmm. it would come down to maybe order dice. The secondary objective is claimed just the same as any other objective is with an infantry unit mm-hmm. or artillery unit. Um, so there's no real difference there. And it's uh, it's just an extra element to the game. But as I said, it's it's predominantly used as a tiebreaker. Um, whereas I decided to make it an actual pivotal thing um, within the game. And for myself, on the morning, it was a three-game event. I went round every table, uh, and I had some. Um, oh, I'm sure that the term crosses over oceans and borders, but blue tack. You know the stuff mm-hmm. you put your posters up, and um, blue tacked each uh, poker chip to the table so that it couldn't be easily bumped or moved or manipulated. Mm-hmm. It was it was stuck, um, yeah, reasonably there. So yeah, that was that was that. Is that like gluing a penny on the ground and watching people try and pick it up? <laughs> kind of like that. Kind of like kind of like that. Yeah. We um, I mean, you would know this as someone who played with me in many of in 40k events here for many years um for years we used a format in melbourne that was for events we called it you know that getting a 20 which you know there were 20 points on offer in each round in an event winning would get 15 points tie would get 10 loss would get five and then there would be five additional bonus points that you would build up it was often used by arcanicon for example the biggest oh yeah 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 if i can remember it it was um Mm -hmm. You had to get somebody into one of your opponent's flanks beside mm-hmm. the deployment zone, uh, destroy their killer HQ, killer highest mm-hmm. point unit. Mm-hmm. Um, or was there something about claiming the center as well? I, yeah, it was like you had to have a certain number of things. To, I, and that's where my memory think, goes. Um, I'm sure, yeah, the, the last two points, I'm sure you had to be something like have nothing in your enemy deployment zone, nothing in your deployment zone. But yeah, there was... yeah. Well, we, Anthony from the old Ghost Army podcast, brought that system to Melbourne events. I do mm-hmm. want to give him the credit for that because he was the one who said we should have more points to help, you know, differentiate scores for the final scoring for events. And over the years, we played with it. And currently, what we're using for a lot of the big Melbourne events, like Jump to Action, Operation Bear, Easter Front, is the 5, 10, 15, which is similar to yours, just with slightly bigger numbers it just you know slightly more granular i guess same idea though mathematically but we have five objectives as well i mean five additional points you can score for the very same reason that you say and i'm saying this only for folks who aren't here and aren't there um to to share different ideas if you are running an event um, that might give you some additional points so we have have you killed your opponent's lieutenant so captured theirs have you finished five full turns of your game? So it encourages people to play through. That's good. Um, Didn't think of that. That's a good idea. Do you have two units in your opponent's half of the board? So it's just encouraging people to get out of their own deployment zone. 
did you destroy more than half of your opponent's order dice? And do you have more than half of your own order dice? So even for objective missions, for those people who do like to play a little bit more aggressively, it might give them something that would reward their style of play, if that makes sense, because we tend to use a lot of objective missions. We do have kill point missions, obviously. There's usually one per every three mission, and then the other two mm -hmm. are objective-based. So it gives people an incentive. It also helps people when they're facing those larger order dice armies that often have larger order dice armies often have those easy to peel away order dice because yeah. they have lots of cheap ones and it gives people an opportunity to get those points if that makes sense so yeah same idea but for those of us who are thinking about running events in the future those are just two ideas that you can run with now i do want to get back to megatron and i for just an episode that i was uh, recording for the warlord cast uh, yesterday spoilers i am holding a stack of books and most of these are theater selectors and campaign books. And I did love when you were on Bo's show talking about how important it is to have the actual book in hand. Because while Easy Army and while Battle Scribe are wonderful resources for the community and they have improved dramatically over time, I did have to say I found two list mistakes that caused new players to play uh, incorrectly for no fault of their own. They just didn't know because they weren't necessarily referring to the book. They were referring to what was on the, the bottom of easy army and guys, you need to own the books. And otherwise, if you're going to be running an event like Megatron 3000, because it really is specific, the rules and the interactions and the list options, right? Yeah. That's, that's where the magic of, the Megatron format really comes in is that mm. as you start to access all these selectors, they're really cool special. I, actually, before that, it's given credit to the authors of these books, especially uh, the ones in the recent sort of two to three years. Mm -hmm. These guys have done their research and that, you know, the first parts of the books with the scenarios and the historical elements of the, of the campaigns that they're talking about, they're really, really good. They're worth the read. If you're not a you know a World War II buff, you can be by mm -hmm. reading these campaign books. When it comes to the theater selectors, they've done the research, and that you know the the access to the vehicles and the, the squads and the units they have in them. That's what they that's what they had. For sure, it's still a game. There's still a bit of sort of um, you know leeway to that, but there's always a limiting factor, and you know people sort of curl their toes up when they hear about competitive play in the you know the the m3 stewards with all the machine guns or the flamethrower units coming out of your ears multi-launcher madness just firing stuff everywhere all of that all of that was limited within the theater that you encountered um at megatron mm -hmm. i there were no upgun stewards there were multi-launchers but there was only ever one running about um, mm -hmm. you know, there were flamethrowers, yep, for sure. Uh, but I don't think any army had more than two. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, so all those elements were there, but they were controlled through the history of it. Um, and that's a credit to the authors. Thank you for for those those works. And the next part is then the extra rules that come with them all. And it was so good 
to see experienced players finding out new things about mm -hmm. different armies, uh, and that included myself. Um, you know, off the top of my head, the from the Stalingrad book, uh, no, no, no step back beyond the Volga or something. I, I can't remember mm -hmm. who it was, um, but they weren't allowed to take any artillery pieces within their army because within the city of Stalingrad. You didn't just sort of roll around with a medium howitzer, you know, whatever you want, and just you know start mm -hmm. firing. But the rule it gave them was that if you take a artillery forward observer, they can fire twice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, yeah. and then remembering you got to combine that with the Soviet rule of um, rolling two dice for the distance of the mm -hmm. artillery bombardment. So all those things married together and um, gave that guy a really unique experience playing playing Soviets. And there's just countless, 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 um, you know, little things like that that were going on all over the battlefield, uh, all over the day. It was, it was really good. I loved it. Yeah, man. And it gives people a new way to, to look at and play bolt action because we may know the rules. We may mm -hmm. be familiar with the quote-unquote better units. I mean, bolt action is a game that is really fun to play. It's my favorite game. Don't get me wrong. It is also a game that's <clears throat> easily broken at times. But when you are asking people to look at the game 30 different ways by taking different theater selectors, yeah, there's going to be a lot of crossover as far as, you know, what works and what may not. But because those theater selectors, as you say, are focused in particular directions, it can lead to some really interesting army builds. And as you say, a lot of particularly the newer theater selectors have those special rules and yep. that can really help people to have a new gaming experience and to mix up their bolt action experience. So it's not just the same old thing every time. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and one of the keys to that was the points level 1250, let people really mm -hmm. maximize uh, what was within it. You know, I, I had to write a list for myself in case I needed to be the spare man. Mm -hmm. And um, I picked the theatre selector called Bloody Gulch. Um, mm -hmm. From memory, it's from the D-Day US sectors. And the story behind that was there's a you know, particular infantry division are pinned down and they're waiting for, waiting for the second armour division to, to come to the rescue. And so there, there's almost two elements to the army. And you know the trick for Bloody Gulch is that you can take three tanks. Yeah. But from memory, you've only got a choice of three different tanks. Uh, yep. You know, one's one's a Sherman. I think it's a Wolverine or or something else. So I picked three Shermans, and they've got the weak sides. Easily catches fire. They're the cheap versions, mm -hmm. but I still got to feel. I still got to play with the army. You know, through some practice games. So I still got to put down three Shermans, but I didn't have any multi launchers. I didn't have any flamethrowers. Mm -hmm. I just had American infantry boys with rifles and bars. Mm -hmm. um, I had a couple of para uh, blah, the guys with parachutes, <laughs> paratroopers, airborne. Yeah, <laughs> airborne. Yeah, I had I had two okay, squads yeah. of airborne. You know, kitted mm -hmm. out with a bunch of um, submachine guns and rifles, so they were veteran, tough fighter, and that was it. But yeah. I got three Shermans on the board, but I had to always confirm to a rule that they could not deploy. Because the second armored rolled up, you know, partway through a battle to represent that they were always in reserve, um, mm -hmm. you know. So that that was my, you know, pro and con for it. And oh look, I think 
exploring theater selectors is, is essential um, yeah and 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 the plan is for next year i'm going to run megatron 3000 again and it will be exactly mm -hmm. the same format uh, there might be one tweak actually i'll i'll sneak it out on your podcast mate do it bring it bring the hot the one Let it, give <clears> the hot take I had a few little house rules thrown in just to help balance things out. Uh, one of them was that the Italians would always get their defensive position barricades. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked that any army from the Stalingrad book could not take Panzerfausts because they didn't exist mm -hmm. at that point in time. It's just one of those quirks where the the campaign book references you back to the army books, to a unit in the army book, and that's when you can take mm -hmm. the Faust. I said, no, no, no to that. Nobody kicked yeah, exactly. up a fuss about that at all. I am going to go back and ask for the Tiger Fear rule to be uh, used as written in the German army book, with the exception that it is only on the Tiger 1 or Tiger 2 tank. Yes, there you go. I That's... like it. Uh, <clears throat> my friend Nick, who runs a Tiger 2, since they've FAQ'd the Tiger 2, has not played bolt action uh, yeah. because he wants tiger fear because his entire army depends on it yeah uh, and so yeah so i encourage people to play again right yeah that's i mean we had tiger tanks at the first megatron they were there um mm -hmm. but just as a little sweetener the tiger one and the tiger two at the megatron 3000 in 2023 will have tiger fear rules as written so yeah that's an exclusive for your podcast i Should love it that, man i would that'd be cool Oh, as someone who loves running a tiger, to, particularly because I often end up running Gumby lists or the odd man out list as the tournament organizer at events, yeah. uh, because I'm often running them. I often love taking a tiger because it's it takes up a lot of points. You have lower order dice. You get through games faster, so you can get to you know doing tournament organizer stuff. Yep. But yeah, as someone who loves yeah. taking a tiger, it mm -hmm, it would certainly help. Yeah. Um, Al, we could talk about Megatron all day and yep. I literally have like another six questions, but yep. I'm hoping to run a Megatron 3000 in Melbourne next year. And I was Whoa. talking with Lee off air, uh, over the week about how that could work. So, uh, again, we will stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because yep. uh, I think this format is rad and, uh, we might just see global Megatron 3000 in uh, 2023 what i would like to do though is before we mm -hmm. move on to our next topic yes megatron 3000 was successful for the players the pack and uh, the mm -hmm. venue which was common ground games and sterling um, yep. but what really made it special as well was the sponsors and right. i got to deliver uh, a prize or you know a packet package of prizes into the hands of every single player that attended so I made a commitment to my sponsors to give them, you know, some good exposure so they got value mm -hmm. from it. And for the community that has listened to this, this will be the last time I will mention them in relation to Megatron 3000-2022. It is important that we thank these people, <coughs> though, right? Because they have gone out of their way to support our community. And it's also, for those of you who are listening from the United States and Australia, because I know looking at the demographics and analytics for the show that a lot of you are, some of these people who are supporting UK events 
are wonderful manufacturers of products that you may not be aware of. Uh, so listen carefully, ladies and gents, because there's some good stuff in here. I've heard this on another show, and it's a great list of sponsors. And I should say, the UK-based retailers, with the current state of financial markets and currencies, it could be worthwhile you actually going to shop there, because um, your, mm -hmm. your dollars will go further against our pounds. But in no particular order, we had sponsorship from Great Escape Games, they sent a whole bunch of um, metal Italian miniatures and other miniatures for a welcome mm -hmm. bag. A company called 3D Printing Valley. Again, you can obviously tell by the name, uh, 3D printed different tanks and troops. Uh, they gave us a whole bunch of vouchers, very, very kind. Uh, Goblin Gaming, a UK online retailer. Alba Studio, they're based in Aberdeen in Scotland. They are a 3D printing uh, and commission painting service highly highly recommend them gamer mat au they gave us a battle mat uh, for our table prizes micro art studio these guys are based out of poland you'll start to see a lot of their product they do um pre-painted mdf terrain mm -hmm. uh, you know buildings and some such they look great really too. really good quality i, I bought some mm -hmm. alongside the sponsorship arriving and it's uh, yeah, it's really cool um mm -hmm. ko design they came out of um, scandinavia they do some dice bags for us dice of war a very very well-known name down uh down mm -hmm. in australia i was really impressed that they they sent product over to us especially mm -hmm. with as they said their market in the uk started to drop so thank you for for sticking with us rubicon pff, the name brand name for us don't need to say, right. say any more about it uh, another Scottish company called Any Scale Miniatures. They're a three D, um, sorry, they're a resin casting company as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the key sponsor for us, Weldon Tabletop Wargaming, UK retailer um, of bolt action products and others. He provided an army box for the first prize plus additional stuff. So Weldon Tabletop Wargaming, awesome. I cannot thank them enough. Uh, and and it was only this morning that I was speaking to him. And they're going to sponsor us again next year. Uh, so again, that's another little exclusive for, for the Megatron 3000 in 2023. Uh, phenomenal stuff. Uh, we had Warlord Games themselves were a sponsor. Was very happy to um, receive their sponsorship package through their uh, their new regime um, via Marcus Vine. So thank you very much mm -hmm. for that. And First Core, again, a huge name and uh, miniatures in the UK. And they sent a uh, oh, first quarter. They said it was a tiny little package. And then it must have been like the TARDIS in there. I opened up and all these bags of metal miniatures just started spewing out. It was absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Um, and awesome. I really, when I, when I, when I held it, I was like, oh, it's a bit heavy. And then they, they just packed it so that all the miniatures were just lying super flat. And then mm -hmm. it just started pouring out. And it was, it was really cool. So first core were a, a great sponsor as well. Um, and thank you. And thank you for that. And you know what? I can scrunch that list up and I'll start a new one for next year. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Well, I have to say AnyScale <clears throat> is one of those underrated companies and they sponsored Easterfront for us earlier this year. Oh, did you? Uh, they did you? are Brilliant. a wonderful company. And I have a ton. Recently, people have been asking me where I got because I have a couple of wrecked horches that I use on my tables at events. Yep. 
They do awesome wrecked uh, variety of trucks and tanks from a bunch of different nations, but they also do the non-wrecked version and they tend to be <clears throat> inexpensive. Uh, and there's some great stuff in there. Also, if you're looking for some weirder vehicles that you don't see every day, like the otter or the kangaroo, or, um, you know, if you're looking for a good Lancia truck, if you're an Italian player, may, they make them and they're great. Like any, any scale of, um, as I said, they're based in Paisley in Scotland, if I've um, mm -hmm. done my research correctly. And yeah, he was really forthcoming. I've had good communication with him. And you know what? I will let mm -hmm. it fly again. Any scale miniatures are sponsoring Megatron 3000 again next year as well. Awesome. Got, to, got to stop talking about it. I'll be no surprises left. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> well, I, I do love an exclusive, Al. You know that. Um, but speaking of Warlord Games and speaking of Marcus, uh, the yes. man is the new event coordinator for Warlord Games, um, and he is the face of Warlord for a lot of UK events. And he, you might know his name as being the guy who writes a lot of the articles for Warlord Games uh, community page. But he has taken on a new role, as I said, as the Warlord Games coordinator uh, of events, and he ran the Scottish Open uh, on September 24th and 25th of this year, uh, which was the Warlord Games big event. And it was at Nightly Games, if I'm getting that right. Right now? That's correct. Nightly Games. It's, uh, well, it's been open for a few years now. It's in a, a town called Bathgate, but it's very mm -hmm. much what we describe as the central belt of Scotland. It's got really good um, transportation and connection to, to get there. And they have, honestly, mate, they've got, three floors of gaming uh, and the floor we were on um i think it's got a capacity for at least uh easy 75 players uh, and then they've got wow. two other floors it's 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 a phenomenal it's something that's they're still building it. it's still a growing business but on the day uh, we shared the venue space with the Oh, look, I like to refer to them as the Hobbit people, but the the Middle Earth the strategy battles. Um, I like the, the, the mm -hmm. Hobbit people. Um, the, Hobbit. the Hobbit people were there. Yeah, the Hobbit people were there. Um, so we were, you know, the two events combined. I think we were like 50, 50 players, and we mm -hmm. barely took up half the space on one floor. It was pretty special. So yeah, nightly gaming is a a growing concern um, in the Scottish gaming community. Um, but yes, this awesome, was man. oh, it's super cool. It's really good. Of that fifty players, you had some pretty big names. If you are paying attention to the quote unquote WTC competitive uh, bolt action circuit, so I mean, we had some some heads of teams. We had some of the quote unquote better players from a variety of nations. Can you talk to us yep. a little about the field because it wasn't just that it was a wide spectrum of players but you also had um people traveling to this event right that was it so we had i think it was just under 20 players after dropouts and things happened that's mm, just yeah. how tournaments happen um mm -hmm. but we had uh, one of the wtc players from denmark a guy called jan peterson came over he's a good mm -hmm. friend of scotland he plays um he's actually played for scotland at the wtc before and our second team and then the last wtc he captained denmark's second team and one of the scottish players joined them so we've um scotland and denmark have got a huge uh relationship when it comes to bowl action now um, mm -hmm. 
you know, based on strong friendships, which is, you know, myself and Bo, we do a lot together. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was really nice to have Jan with us. Uh, the Welsh captain, a gentleman by the name of Paul Wickens was in attendance as well. Mm -hmm. He came up um, for the weekend. Uh, he's on some crazy tournament binge at the moment. I think after the Scottish Open, he had four more events before the end of the year. It's like, I don't know where he finds the time. Um, right. You know, yeah, good luck. Good luck to him. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then locally, we had the bulk of our sort of international um, sort of team were there. Plus, you know, the, uh, yeah, I would call them the hardcore, uh, you know, the, the dedicated gamers um, were in attendance. I think there's still a thing that, you know, this is might be an offshoot of COVID and lockdown and restrictions, but attendance at two-day tournaments is still really quite edgy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if it's people are still not willing to give up a lot of their personal time that they might. It's it's an odd one. It's an odd one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it was it was good to to see so many familiar faces and you know a handful of for me a handful of faces I hadn't seen before. But it was it was pretty much a who's who of um of scotland and with some foreign foreign visitors who are always welcome exactly right yeah. well let's talk about what the events rules were because people often ask so the event listing rules for this were each player had brought a thousand points it had to be a single generic reinforced platoon they had to be made up of units from the armies of book or where the units specifically say that they can be included in generic reinforced platoons within an FAQ or the relevant theater or campaign book. There are a lot of campaign books where people look at units and say, yeah, cool, I can use that in a generic reinforced platoon. No, no, no. They need to specifically say that, or it needs to be listed in an FAQ. Uh, Brian Cook, for example, is very good in, for example, uh, the Budapest book saying explicitly and specifically which units go into generic reinforced platoons and which ones are specifically for only mission play. So that that is one of the requirements for this event. A force may not include more than two flamethrowers. It may not include more than one multi-launcher, and it may not include more than 16 order dice. Uh, all models had to be painted to the three color minimum, and they had to be fully based. All models had to be WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. There are no counts as proxy models, no special characters, legendary tanks, or war correspondents. That's one of those things. That no one likes a yeah. war correspondent. And you have to be using the most recent Warlord FAQ. All army lists must be sent to Marcus blah, 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 which is something you are used to. Now, there were a couple special rules here. Tiger Fear will not be used. Turret Jam will not be used. And Prep and Preliminary Bombardment will also not be used. Al, as someone who plays in a lot of the Warlord Open style events, I was not surprised by seeing this list of guidelines for this event. Were you? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, open open type events, I haven't really gone to in the past because I know that like the goal for this the, for an open event is that it's um, more beginner friendly. You know, there are right. limits put on people, um, but we all like going to you know 
tournaments, events to play games. So I'll I'll play pretty much within any sort of format. Um, mm-hmm. So the the restrictions on listing is actually actually really good. I I, I prefer single platoon uh, just because it brings in some of the other nations that you know drop away quite quickly when there's dual platoon. Mm-hmm. What did surprise me though was the um, the dropping of the prep preliminary bombardment from mm-hmm. from all missions. Uh, I just looked at it and I had this moment of why are warlord games dropping warlord games rules? Um, yeah. But look, as as it turned out, and you know, it's best to put it in now. Uh, I think we were being experimented upon by warlord games to see what the results of the games would be uh, without the use of prep bombardment. And you know mm-hmm. what? I don't care. It was just a bit of a surprise. Yeah. A little bit, you know, you know, a few things that are going to go on. Are you going to talk about the objectives? Is that still something you want I to talk about? I will in a sec, yeah. Yeah. But feel free you... to talk. Yeah. No, no. When you, you know, because they had some specific um, objective rules, that surprised me. And I think if you want to do the reading on that just now. Um... I want, before I got to that, I guess in Melbourne and in a lot of big Australian events, we tend to use some rulebook missions, usually a couple, but typically we end up using other missions as well. And one of the first things to go out the window on a lot of those missions is prep and preliminary bombardment. Because um, having played in an event earlier this year that used largely warlord missions run by um, Andrew Baxter, I should give a big props to him because I've really enjoyed playing in his event. It was really weird to play using them because I hadn't played with those rules in years, particularly because people often don't like them. It leads to negative play experiences because it isn't symmetrical. People, it, it, it often one people, one person will get hit and the other person doesn't. And so we often do away with it. So I guess lost over that when I read it and was like, yeah, it's fine. Like that's a standard thing. We don't do that. But I guess you guys do. Yeah, dropping prep bombardment's a very non-standard thing to do. I've but, I've played actually, in the game with preliminary bombardment exactly three times, I think, twice. Yeah. I actually now that I say it out loud, in maybe four <laughs> years. You only so, you only ever you only ever hear the real complaints from the British players though, so Mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> with good reason yeah what is part of the natural rules exactly yeah. they'll cry about it anyway back yeah the but the british have plenty good rules anyway <clears throat> let's talk about objectives all objectives are required to be 40 millimeters which isn't a surprise uh, only infantry and artillery units may contest and hold objectives which is fairly standard for us as well spotters medics chaplains cannot contest and they cannot hold objectives Infantry and artillery units in transports may not contest or hold objectives. Now, that's spicy. To contest an objective, an infantry and artillery unit must have at least one model within three inches of the objective marker. And to hold an objective, an infantry or artillery unit must have at least one model within three with no enemy or infantry or artillery unit within three of that objective marker. And each mission will have one secondary objective, which is what we talked about before. Yeah. Now that will be worth one point if held at the end of the game. These objectives are placed by the TO at the start of the event and may not be moved. Basically, again, we're gluing the penny on the floor and watching people try and pick it up. Yeah, so, pretty much. Al, how is this different from what you guys 
do other than the transport rule this is very much what we run in australia mm, for us you know what for to claim an objective to actually have to to claim it infantry artillery on foot yes uh, but also infantry and artillery in a vehicle yes yeah they, exactly. they should be able to claim Constant. it uh, so that that was a difference for us the other one is and vehicles not be able to contest it that's huge that's a huge change um for any uk event and i have never played in a in an event where a vehicle um cannot contest an objective so mm. that that was a big one and i was really hoping that all the players at the event had read this because uh, mm -hmm. even even when i went to start to build my list for it i had that in mind um, yeah. And that's that's what steered me towards the nation I played and the list I chose was yeah. was that was was actually the, the two big changes the removal of prep bombardment and not letting vehicles claim or con uh, so not letting vehicles contest objectives those were the mm -hmm. two main drivers um, for the creation of my own list. Yeah, it's interesting. There is a Bolt Action Alliance mission from the 2020 mission pack that allows vehicles to contest objectives, but it is explicitly written in that it allows that. And in no other mission that we run, do vehicles contest? Yeah. That's what makes that mission different is because it does allow that. And so we always list the other way around where infantry and artillery are king and vehicles are in, you know, in addition. So it, it's, Again, for me, looking at this, the transport thing's huge. I don't necessarily understand that one, but no. the vehicles otherwise, that's that's every yeah. day for us. Before we crack on even further into this, I want to caveat this this section. This is a Warlord Games event, and it was really good. Oh yeah, before, I'm, I'm about to before be before the, next slide. Yeah, before yeah. before anybody starts to 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 think, oh, here's Brad and yeah. Al winding up to no, not at all to Warlord Games, but. Uh, you know, these are just little quirks. This was a really, really good event. And it gives us, uh, again, uh, just like you said, I'm not being critical. It gives us an interesting character for this yes. event. And it, it makes it different than what you're used to. And I found it interesting reading through the pack when we were doing a little pre-event chit-chat, just how much the way that our two metas play bolt action is subtly different. Just that vehicle being able to contest an objective, that's massive. Um, mm -hmm. It changes a lot of the way people play and correspondingly list when getting ready for bolt yeah. action events. Yeah, yeah. And that's not something that people commonly talk about when they're talking about the UK meta or if you're listening to a UK podcast, they may not be mentioning versus what I'm talking about on my show. It's just a really interesting, subtle difference. Um, but Al, let's talk a little bit about the objectives uh, in this. So, sorry, the, the winning. So we have the points. Now, just like your event, five points for a win, three points for a draw, one point for a loss. The secondary objective at this event was worth one. And if you had a concession loss or a disqualification, you got zero points. So the missions that you guys played, unsurprising because it is a warlord event, were all out of the rule book. We had meeting engagement, yep. we had point defense, key positions, sectors, and double envelopment. Now, as a player for this event, were you 
surprised to see those missions? I was, yes, I was surprised. There was two missions out there that I was surprised to see, and I'm not going to go through the guesting game. It was point defense and double envelopment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, right. You know, obviously, being a Warlord Games event, they were both they were all played rules as written from the rule book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, seeing those two missions, um, yeah, that was really, yeah, nerve wracking, nerve wracking stuff. And you know what? If I'm honest. I didn't see the missions until the day. I don't know if I'd skipped over it in the player pack or if I just tuned it out, but I never mm-hmm. saw the missions until um, until round one when Marcus had them written up. And when I saw... Uh, <laughs> um, when I saw point defense and double envelopment, I was just like, oh, God, I've done it wrong. <laughs> now, that said, and there's my segue... Let's shift gears and talk about yep. how the event went because we've talked yes. about how wonderful the venue is. We've talked about the character of the player pack and what that led to. We talked about who was there. Mm-hmm. Now let's shift gears and talk about what was it like to play as a player who came in to play. And then clearly there were some challenging missions for you and there were some slightly different rules for you to get your head around. But again, that made for an interesting, slightly different skew on what you are used to did you have fun at this event? Because, spoilers, I've heard good things. Huge, hugely enjoyable event. I yes. was um, mentally drained two out of the five games that were played. Uh, and the other three games were challenging, but also, the, and they were all enjoyable. You know, one of the big elements of any any event for bolt action is the terrain, just because mm-hmm. it's such an integral part of the game itself. And the terrain for this event was supplied by Colin Betts. Uh, Mm -hmm. Colin Betts uh, and Gary Betts are closely associated with Warlord, but they also do a lot of work through the British Historical Game Society, um, BHGS. So they have got a huge, um, uh, I guess, stock, for lack of a better term, of terrain. And I know that um, Colin Betts drove a huge big van up um, you know, the night before, stacked full of tables, and every table was a oh, look. It was medium to high density in terms of numbers of terrain pieces, um, mm-hmm. but all the tables were themed, and they were themed well. There was your sort of classic um, jungle airfield, you know, the big strip down the middle, but then you mm-hmm. know, dense jungle on either side. Uh, there was just the classic jungle settlement type thing again, really dense, um, you know. Out in the desert, lots of roads, but hills and dunes and, you know, rocky gullies. Uh, You know, a classic Stalingrad table where it was just, you know, dense cover, hard terrain, wall to wall everywhere. Um, You know, your nice little sort of Eastern European village or Western European, whatever sort of you want to look at, you know, with with open roads, fields. But it was all good quality, well laid out. Um, very high standard and uh, there were tables that I didn't want to play on but that mm-hmm. was because of the nature of my army not the nature yeah. of the table it was my army which gave me those you know likes and dislikes mm-hmm. um, of different tables and and I had to play on you know two tables 
that I didn't want to play on. Uh, on missions that I didn't want mm-hmm. to play. So I had to I had to suck it up. It was good. Yep. But that's important, right? That you have a variety of terrain types on tabletops, but also across an event, you have a variety of tables that allow for different styles of army to flourish, right? I mean, yes. not every not every table should be the same. And, you know, sometimes nope, nope, the tables that you don't want to face people on are exactly the table other people want to face you on. And as long as the TOs can help players not play on the same table twice, right, where at all exactly. possible, then that, that should be fine. And I thankfully didn't play on um, any duplicate tables, um, which I'm very mm-hmm. thankful for. Uh, and I'm glad I got to play on a variety of tables. You know, I played on a nice desert table. There was a little Mediterranean village that I got to destroy. There was a, um, it looked like Eastern European village I got to destroy. I had to play in the Stalingrad table and the jungle airfield. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And, That's awesome. The man. cool thing is, they're all tables I would happily play on again. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'd really hope I had the right the right army or a, or a you know a different army uh, to use than the one the one that I did. Now, folks may ask, what army did you take? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes. Um, let's talk about the event runner, Marcus. I I do not know the man. Um, I've mm-hmm. again heard wonderful things. I hear he ran a very tight ship on the day, and things went well. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the timings sort of. It's a really weird thing. Within the event pack, you know how you've usually got your schedule, like registration at mm-hmm. 9.30, first game at blah, 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 blah. It wasn't until the night before the event when I went to look in the player pack to find out, you know, what time do I need to be at the venue? I knew how, I know how quickly I can get to my door, to their door. I've been quite mm-hmm. times. And that's when I realized there was no schedule. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I knew that, you know, there was a sign that said, you know, doors open at 8.30 a.m. It's like, all right, I'll just be there at 8.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Registration was quick. It felt like we were playing game one really quickly, but I'd had enough time to get a coffee and chat to my sort of friends that were there and say hello to the Hobbit people. Yeah, And then all of us, they, they did a really, what I felt was odd, but was actually fine that we did game two. Then we had lunch. Um, But oh, I was okay with that. Yeah, it was weird, yeah. but I was okay. It was okay. Yeah. It was different, but I was fine with it. And then game three, and then all of a sudden, um, I had told my wife that I wouldn't be back until 7 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, I was walking through the door at 6 o'clock because mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't going to be home for dinner, and it was really odd. Even my son, my son's three and a half, and he was like, Dada, what? You're not supposed to be home. Um, so, yeah, it all ran really slick on time. You know, I had... There were only two games where I had rules queries. There was one game mm. in particular where I had multiple rules queries, but it was nothing sinister. There was just it was a really intense yeah. game, and myself and my opponent were just a bit. Ah, let's get a consult on it. Yeah. Um. But his rules calls were straight down the middle. He always checked the rule book in front of you and explained mm. his reasoning behind it. And um, you know, did all calls go my way? No, but all calls were were fair. Um, so yeah, very very happy, um, and there were no issues with redraws. You know, you always felt like that you were mm-hmm. facing the right opponent. You know, mm-hmm. um, so no, it was no, can't can't fault it. Awesome. 
Cool, yeah. man. Especially, especially when you get to go home to your family a little bit earlier than you thought, which is always yeah, good. exactly, right? Yeah, better to be early than late. And um, Yeah, man. What? Well, if you don't post the schedule, you can't be late. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the Scotty syndrome, right? Under promise, over deliver. And it sounds yeah. like Marcus did exactly that, which is yeah. always good to see at an event. Boy, nah, did good. Well, Al, spoilers, you did very okay. well at this event. Uh, do I you want did. to talk about um, how your army went? I mean, I guess we'll get into that more when we talk about your actual army itself. But we are going to talk about the podium for this event, uh, as in okay. the top four lists. And what were some of the things that people saw? Before we get into those, do you think those four armies were representative of the lists on the day or was it a more competitive side and maybe not so competitive lists were at another end? What was your feeling? Because I know that when I looked at some of these lists, I went, oh, yeah, that that wouldn't fly here because we have very different yeah. list expectations in Australia. And I know you and I talk about this regularly off air. What, were these lists representative or were these a more cutting edge of what was present? No, they were all actually representative of what was um, what was there at the event. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go down it to maybe sort of towards the bottom end, there was probably some slightly less optimizations. But because you had the the hard comp of two flamers, one multi-launcher, 16 order dice, 1,000 points. Mm-hmm. Well, not points isn't the hard comp thing. Um, with those really gui- those those strong guidelines, yeah, you found that the armies were, you know, all of equal equalish power. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think if I, you know, I'll run through, we'll run through the the four lists, or sorry, three or four lists that we've got, and uh, then I'll talk about the, I'll talk about the the five games in super brief generalities. But Sounds when good. I talk about when I talk about the the armies that I faced, you'll get a real feel for um for what they had and and how sort of they were all all of more or less the same competitiveness. Um and look to be fair, I think my army was probably the only outlier in terms of being a little bit quirky, if if you want to mm-hmm. give it that term. Well let's start at the top, shall we? Okay. Uh, so this is the army that came first place yeah so uh, the winning order dice soviet yep. list so who played this this uh so first place was paul wiggins mm-hmm. um you know so he he traveled far and took out the win and his total result was he was on four wins one draw mm-hmm. uh, and that that took him to first and he he got first place by one point from second place yeah so it was all very well, much down to um, secondary objectives and stuff. His list was an inexperienced junior lieutenant with two buddies. Yeah, two six-man squads of body armor, flamethrower, assault engineers. We yeah. had a commissar, and then we had <laughs> two 12-man uh, strafbat squads, which are the shirkers, we had yep. the veteran, ten uh, man veteran Mongolian cavalry squad. Uh, we had the free rifle squad, an inexperienced heavy mortar. Did not have a spotter. Oh, of course, you can't do that with the inexperienced mortar. A regular rifle team, three regular anti tank rifles, 
we had the all machine gun all the time M3 Stewart light tank. And then we had a truck with no medium machine gun. And that was, as we said before, 15 order dice. Uh, what did you face this army on the day? And if I so, did. you did. What was your experience with it? And any general thoughts? A, it's a really good balanced competitive list yeah. that meets the restrictions. It's, um, you know, it's well thought out. And Paul is an excellent, excellent player. Uh, you know, the, the two squads of assault engineers, they're in the truck to mm-hmm. deliver them just with the body armor. They can't move any faster than six inches. Um, this list and this event was um, ran under the, it wasn't the latest FAQ. So the latest FAQ that had just come out, what, you know, a week ago, maybe by the time we're recording or something, mm-hmm. um, it does the double pins for the shirkers for everything. Mm-hmm. We weren't using that FAQ uh, on the day just because the, there was a set cutoff date for FAQs. So the two shirker units were holding his back line, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and were, were you know cheap-ish dice to be there to get his objectives. As were the three anti-tank rifle teams. Mm-hmm. The machine gun Stuart, you're never going to go wrong with it. Um, right. And the Mongolian cavalry were pretty much acting as a outflank um, sweeper. Yeah. Uh, so no, it's it's. I when I looked at this list, I wasn't afraid of it at all. Um, I was more afraid of Paul because he's a really good player. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and this, this list has the tools, right? Like yes. it, it, you can see what it does. Looking through it, I could have told you that those assault engineers are in the truck. I could tell you yeah. that the strap bat were there to hold objectives. I could tell you that you know the. Mongolian cavalry were there to zip around uh, and to cause people havoc. Like, there's nothing particularly spicy or surprising here. But in the hands of a good player, this has the teeth, right? Yep, it's a good toolbox list, and um, he knows what to do with it. So, yeah, it's it's the player that made the difference on this one. Um, Things it was, though, it was nice not to see bomb dogs. God, they're so Mm -hmm. pedantic. Um, So the three anti-tank rifles were really nice to see and you and you've always got to remember that within the format being single platoon you know he's got to be confident that he's only ever going to face one sniper so having multiple small teams run about and having his own sniper to Mm -hmm. counter it he can maneuver these things about with uh with relative safety exactly that's a good one so no it was it was yeah it was a good list in it you know, isn't on the scary, the scary list, um, you know, franchise, uh, but the player is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And how did you go against this army? I had to play key positions against it on a Stalingrad table. And mm-hmm. um, it was, look, if I'll talk more about it when I sort of do a brief overview of my games, but I lost, yeah. obviously, against this list, um, but not by much. Well, let's get into your list then. Oh, because yeah. you, you had a 14 order dice Romanian reinforced platoon. Romania! Welcome to Romania, everybody. 
this the romantic was... romanians romantic uh, romanians. I'll, I'll say what's in the list and then you can talk about uh yeah. what it was like why you did it yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have a regular second lieutenant with an <coughs> infantry buddy. i'm sorry two infantry buddies mm-hmm. um you have two motorized squads which is just five regular guys with a panzerfaust we have a combat pioneer section which was a small squad yep with a flamethrower yep. and a bunch of smgs uh, in fact, you had two of those, and yep. then you had another motorized infantry squad, which was well, again six they're guys. Not small, with the they're not small pioneer squads. One of them was seven man. One of them was eight man. Oh, sorry, it's the format for Easy Army yep. that throws me because sometimes they the way they list Panzerfaust throws me off. You're right. The two combat pioneer squads are larger, as you say. One is yep. seven, and one, one is seven, eight. One is eight. Right. Sorry about that. And no, no. both combat pioneer squads also have a Panzerfaust. We have an inexperienced medium mortar. We have a veteran sniper. We mm-hmm. have a regular medium artillery piece. We also have a free uh, regular uh, medium artillery piece. Both have spotters. We have a, a slept on tank that I always love, the Panzer 38T. Plus, we have two what are coined as miscellaneous trucks. And because they are from the Romanian book, uh, they do not get the machine gun option from memory, and you didn't take them. Uh, and nope. you also have listed as your German reinforced platoon a third medium artillery piece. Which oh, yeah. Makes me sweat bullets to hear <laughs> that you had three medium AT guns. <laughs> Well, um, clearly the medium AT guns are the theme or are, are part of your, you know, overall medium battle plan. Mate. But talk to medium us about your list. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to take something drastically left field uh, to this event. And because it was single platoon, I knew that I wasn't going to be facing off against multiple tanks and, you know, horrible multiple things. And then also with the provision of claiming and contest uh, claiming um, objectives being mm-hmm. infantry and artillery based I wanted to make sure I had as many of those as possible so uh, a three man lieutenant team yes uh, so they all had submachine guns the two five man and the one six man motorized infantry squad with rifles and one panzerfaust it's, it's just spreading that not just anti-tank threat but the sort of anti you know, armor troop transport threat, um, yeah. spreading it throughout the entire entire um, army. The combat pioneers need to punch, and I want to punch twice. So yeah. uh, one seven man, one eight man. Um, yeah, you know, four submachine guns in each squad, one Panzerfaust, one Flamer, uh, and also the way that they are sort of put together is that. One of the trucks I've got has, had to be inexperienced, just a points pressure thing. Um, so that meant that the seven-man pioneer squad went in that with the three-man lieutenant squad. So if they were in reserve, the lieutenant could buff the truck and get it on. There you go. Yep. And then there's... Um, oh, no, sorry, that's a lie. It's the eight-man squad. Eight plus, eight plus three is 11. So they go in the inexperienced one. And then the seven-man squad and one of the five-man motorized squads goes in the other truck to total 12. Um, yeah. And then, obviously, you have three medium howitzers, all with spotters, plus a sniper. So it meant that 
when it came to the forward deployment game, I could win pretty much to put my sniper down mm-hmm. last. Um, again, within a single platoon, you know, who's going to have more than four forward deployers? You know, well, mm-hmm. nobody did, as it turned out, or nobody that I faced did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. You built your list knowing that you were playing the game within the game because you knew that everyone was taking one single reinforced platoon. Yes. And you knew that that would limit the repetition of certain op- you know options within a list. And then yes. you intentionally built an army, Romanians, that break that by allowing you to take three artillery pieces. Yes, I did. I did that. And also coupled with the fact that knowing that there was no prep bombardment in any mission, so mm-hmm. that I could deploy these guns and not have them being blown up, um, yep. again was a, was a further encouragement um, to do it. So, so yeah, that was the rationale behind the list, and I had four wins and one loss with this. Nice, but I and tell we'll, I tell we'll you talk what, about, yeah, yeah. We'll when talk we talk about, about the games, I, s- I yeah. swear to you, it was not easy. Oh yeah, no, I it looking at easy. just the the again. I often talk about lists as in in the Australian meta and what we expect here. And yeah. these lists all make sense in conjunction with one another. Like it, it's it's the the event that they're played in. They fit the event. They fit the community that they are a part of. And this list falls into line with Wiccan's list, I think, in my mind, perfectly. So mm-hmm. it isn't like one list is going to curb stomp anyone else because it is so drastically different. I think everything is along the same lines. Um, I, you know, this isn't a list that we would <clears throat> expect for Bear. And in case you're listening, folks, please don't submit this list for Operation Bear later this year. <laughs> and I am saying that because we have had people trying to turn in juggernaut lists recently to beginner friendly events in Melbourne. And it's like, sorry, buddy, no. Uh, let's move to third place. We have a Japanese army by Johnny Ferguson. Now, as a Japanese player, I always love to see a Japanese list. And this one was 15 order dice. We have a regular second lieutenant with a buddy. We had two 15-man inexperienced militia squads. Now, it's important to remember that those are green. And he backed that up with the Kempatai officer, which, of course, is like the Japanese version of the commissar for those who aren't familiar. But instead of shooting people, if they run away, they make green squads more likely to pop into regular. He had a medic, which I thought was interesting in this list. He had a forward observer for artillery. Again, not something you see in a lot of Japanese lists. He backed it up with a Japanese engineer squad, which was veteran with seven dudes with a flamethrower. And a 15-man bamboo spear fighter squad, which again is green, which the Kempatai can help bump up. And another militia squad. Now, interestingly, this one's only five men. So clearly this is probably an objective sitting squad. We have a sniper that's regular. We have a flamethrower team. So there's your second flamethrower. One regular suicide AT guy. We have the type four howitzer. And I do love that he splashed out for the extra loaders because that's actually one of those big slept on Japanese national rules is a lot of their artillery. You can give them more guys. And so sometimes uh, those guns can have as many (laughs) as many crew as some people trying to assault them, which is I think is always wonderful. We also have 
oh, what do we have here? We have light truck and a spigot mortar launcher. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And that is the 15 order dice. What was your experience with this? Did you face this list? Because as a Japanese player, I have lots of things to say. I face this list. And what you Mm -hmm. have to understand about Johnny, he is a cunning, cunning player. And he, um, you know, whenever I encounter him in bolt action, he always goes down the path less trodden with whatever army Mm -hmm. he decides to pick. And some of the trends that he's actually started within our local community, you know, we've, you know, three-man officer teams are back for whatever officer, mm-hmm. it's like three-man officer, three-man commissar, um, three-man forward observer, they're back because he's sort of said, no, no, they're good, they're good, they're good. Yeah. And then we're, we're all trying them out. So they're all they're all making a comeback, and it's all pretty much down to him locally. Um, awesome. He, look, I played the game, obviously I played against him and I won. But there's a lot more to be said about the game than that. Uh, you know, as I guess with you having more experience of being a Japanese player, what what are your critiques of it? Because Johnny will watch this, and he'll want to mm. know. He wants to know what you think. Keeping in mind, I tend to play a very different style of Japanese list. I tend to run regular and veteran Japanese lists rather than the inexperienced horde. I tend to play them because I play largely. Um, theming my stuff around China where they're more a traditional army without using suicide AT because they were doing that against the Americans because they were getting steamrolled, not what they were doing in China. So my experience is slightly different here, but I have run militia hordes in the past. And obviously if you are going to have green militia troops in your army, you need to have that Kempatai officer there to bump them up and you need to keep them close. I was fascinated to see a list that had so much inexperienced with a medic. Now, I'm assuming the medic was following the engineer squad around or was there to possibly talk to the howitzer crew. Um, No. Now, that's interesting. Now, the medic followed uh, the bamboo and one of the big militia squads and uh, Mm. the officer team around. He was in the thick of it. That's interesting. Spoilers, uh, you know he died. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm guessing he didn't last long. But it yeah. does give you an interesting idea, though. If you are facing that coming at you, one of the first things I always do or, or look to do if I'm facing a Japanese horde list is to get rid of the Kempatai officer, quick smart. Uh, and that's what the sniper is for uh, in my list, is to get rid of that to prevent those green rolls uh, from getting any better because that hurts to all of a sudden be facing regular or veteran fanatic troops instead of inexperienced. But yeah, it's interesting. I like that it isn't just a wall of bamboo. I also love the inclusion of the engineer squad. I think that you definitely need something with a backbone. And yes, a wall of inexperience that can bump up is a backbone. Um, But it's not one that I like to typically lean on, even though they're fanatic. But that engineer squad is oof. Like that can do some work right there. That was good. Mm-hmm. And spigot launcher and the heavy artillery piece will Again, this, absolutely do some yeah, damage. This, this tournament was done before that particular FAQ moved the spigot from mm-hmm. the mortar uh, to the artillery right. section, which is why he's got, which is why he's got both. Um, I was wondering and about a single that. Platoon, then, so. yeah. yeah. 
Spigot's a scary I... thing, mate. It is a scary, scary thing. Yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of things to look at and to it this forces is, you to make some hard decisions, right? This is where there's a synergy going on between the spigot, the heavy howitzer, mm. and his artillery observer. He is playing the pin game big time. Yeah. And he's right to do so because if he can mm. land a spigot shot and an artillery shot and a, a and a heavy howitzer shot in direct he'll mm -hmm. see units off the table. I mean, because the spigot's D6 plus two pins. Yes. <laughs> it, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where, you know, if he gets the big hit, if he's been clever enough to keep his sniper or another RM, another, you know, easy unit to just to snap out that last pin, that's a regular squad will disappear. Um, that's, that's the game he's playing. And he, that tends to be the trend through all the different armies that he plays. Um, yeah success sometimes others not so much i'm a death by a thousand paper cuts kind of guy like it's how i run a lot of my lists and when i run my japanese because i tend to be more regular focused i have the right regular rifle squads to throw out some pins but i follow that up with cheap tanks that have multiple weapon systems so i can pin sprinkle out and i'm throwing you know some uh, usually a lot of light artillery pieces, usually two light artillery uh, pieces. So it's instead of having the one big gun, I have two little ones. And then yeah. I back it up because I'm usually running two platoons with like two medium mortars. So all of a sudden I'm kicking out a lot of possible pins in different places. I really like that artillery observer. I I might just need to give that a go because I think that would synergize nicely with the way I play. And I really I was taking a good hard look at this list later. Or sorry, earlier. And I think I'm gonna take a few things away and give it a go. Um, yeah, it's it's a good yeah. rounded Japanese list. Um Yeah. Mm, I like it. And, and again, it's not the the one that everyone talks about, which is nice to see. No way. No way. It's good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about number four, which was another Soviet platoon. Now, this one is 16 order dice. Mm -hmm. It has an inexperienced uh, junior lieutenant by himself. Should we say have... this, this particular list. This is uh, Jan Peterson from Denmark. Oh, oh this is okay. I didn't this realize that was his list. We have two five man assault engineer squads. These ones do not have body armor, but they both have a flamethrower and they both have two Panzerfausts. And I think we we know where they're going. Uh, for those who are paying attention at home, <laughs> Universal Carriers, um, we have a Shrafbat squad with six guys, inexperienced. In fact, we have three of those. Again, Shirkers. Again, pre-FAQ. We have our free rifle squad. We have a light regular mortar. We have a veteran sniper team. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, where, where, you know, what's going on here? It's all there aren't besides the two assault engineer flamethrower squads, but they're not with body armor. Where the teeth here? Well, let's get into the tank hunter squad. That was interesting in that it's larger. It's four guys with a Panzerfaust. We have a BA 20, which I thought I was the only person in the world that ran this thing. 
which is an armored recce car, seven plus armor, and it's a turret mounted LMG. I use mine in fins, but he had an SU-122, which is the medium. It's, it's like the Soviet stew. It's a medium howitzer on an assault gun frame. It's not turret mounted, regular at 180 points. We had a Bren carrier with an, a pencil mounted LMG. We had a truck with a machine gun. We have the gas Jeep by itself. I'm guessing that is for the flamethrower team. And then we have a Bren carrier again with the forward and pintle mounted LMG. And I should mention that the original Bren that I mentioned had a forward facing boys anti-tank rifle instead of two LMGs. So that made it 10 points more expensive. Now that is a very interesting list. I may have messed up. I did say there was a flamethrower team there and there isn't. The two flamethrowers are in assault engineer squads. I'm mixing up my notes. Al, talk to me about this list because I'm getting it jumbled now with the first place one. Yeah, Jan's, Jan's again, extremely experienced, extremely competent player. And, um, you know, he's a big fan of the assault engineers and the brain carriers. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows, he knows their value. He knows they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're good at what they do. Um, I was questioning the SU one to whatever number it is, uh, just one, thinking two, two. that if you wanted to take something alternate to that, mm-hmm. to that tank, um, just cause I mean, the vehicle itself has got a big physical footprint. Um, it does. But the benefit is that it's a nine plus tank. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Jan was counting on, again, that theory that being single platoon, uh, everybody knows they're only going to face one tank, but are they only going to take enough tools to, to, to destroy a lighter tank? So he's gone for something a little bit heavier and something mm-hmm. that's going to be able to um, not destroy it. He's, he's not going for a tank destroyer. He's for an infantry destroying tank. Exactly. Um, you know, so if he's, if he's going to be dumping out the howitzer shots, you know, those other opposition veteran infantry are just going to melt away from it, uh, yeah. which is which is really good. Uh, the two brain carriers, one tank rifle. I'm a fan of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a few tweaks that that could have been made. You know, that that BA20 is an odd one. You know, especially within the format of not being able to 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 contest objectives with vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, the gas jeep. Why is it veteran? I, I don't I don't get it. Yeah. there's nothing really there to deliver. Um, That's why I got confused because, like, oh, veteran gas jeep. Yeah, that makes sense for delivering something like a flamethrower. But in this list, what are you going to deliver? The light yep. mortar. Um, Particularly in a format where, and I don't want to be critical of someone else's list. Clearly, you know, if you have a game plan and I don't see it, then that, like, this guy is a very capable player. He came forward. Oh, yeah. But I was just thinking, you know, I could see that if you're zipping up. I mean, I literally played a game yesterday where my opponent zipped up in a Jeep and parked it next to an objective in turn six. And I had to deal with that. And in dealing with that, I had to deal with the Jeep first to get to the squad inside. And I was thankfully within a thought range, so I was able to do that. But in an event where they're not claiming, I'm wondering if he saw that rule, if that's not something you guys usually do. I 100% suspect that Jan has read and understood the player pack completely. 
So okay. for missions like sectors, this mm -hmm. is great. Um, double oh. envelopment. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness! You know, you look at the. He's only got the single miniature for the lieutenant, and then the light mortar team or the sniper team. You know, barrel them into the jeep. Woof! Good. Off they go. No problem. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got the truck. The truck. You know, instead of loading up the inexperienced guys, you can load up two chaprads and a small team. Uh, sorry, he's got six main chaprad, but you you know what I'm trying to say. He's got I do. multiple options on how he builds the transportation uh, abilities of of the list to to get everything moving. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's and that's even true of the assault engineers. If he wants to get them up the board quicker, he can dump them both into the truck and then mm -hmm. just put the small teams into the brain carriers to man the guns. Right. So it's, it's the flexibility of the list. And what we're seeing, though, with the Shafbrad, Shafbrad and the Soviet list, that's going to melt away now. You will, we yeah. will not see that you know, post-FAQ. Uh, so this is very much the hurrah um, for them. I don't know Jan's individual results, but he finished mm -hmm. fourth overall. So he's got the wins on the board. Uh, and he's been claiming secondary objectives there. So you can't, yeah, you can't fault it. And again, you look at the list and it, it, it does sit well within the format and within the other lists that we've already discussed. It does. Now, you mentioned before the SU-22, and it got me thinking, something that I occasionally talk about on the show is the actual model itself. And... I, I was literally just checking on my phone um, to make sure that I had the right model. And I actually own a, a 122 on a shelf behind me. It's the 152 that's a beast. That's the big cat killer that you know, you have a hard time getting cover with sometimes because it is the model is literally so physically mm -hmm. big. The 122 is actually fairly low slung. It's nothing like a Hetzer, for example. But the 122 is nice because you can roll it up to a wall. And because of the physical model, the gun's high on it and the model's low, you can actually usually get cover with that thing. So that is actually a really, I think that's a slept on feature of that vehicle that I did want to mention because I personally really rate the SU-122. But yeah, anyway, yeah, food for thought. Look, it's, it's, I enjoy seeing the variety of lists and there's some units in there, you know, that aren't, aren't for me, but, um, I know that Jan's experience again, the player will make difference to the list, and, and it has. Absolutely. And I'm glad that it did. Yeah. And please, please, I'm not being critical of this list at all. Uh, I, I definitely, I am not used to uh, all of the uh, intricacies of the UK meta. And some of these combinations are just things I don't normally see. So I'm glad Al was able to uh, yep. beef it out like that, or sorry, explain out how some of these things worked on the day and did you face this list thankfully not okay i'm glad i'm glad i didn't yeah, uh, yeah. again i'm not afraid of the list i'm more afraid of yeah right yeah but that's <laughs> yeah, the thing he's, if, he's, he's a yeah. cunning cunning guy and he's such a nice guy but mm -hmm. I, well, it's, I, it's most often the cases where you see some of the best players turn a turn in a list and people will say I don't get that. And the player just smiles and says, okay, you know, and people will say to them, don't take that. It can't win games. 
and then they do very well with it because they've thought it through. They know what it does. And as you say, this list has different varieties that you can reconfigure depending on the mission, depending on the opponent, depending yeah, on the situation. We we almost faced each other in round four. And, you know, mm -hmm. I said I'm more afraid of the player than I am, but I would have liked to have played Jan. Uh, yeah. Just because I know the game would have, well, all my games were extremely enjoyable, but, I, you know, Jan had flown from Denmark. Um, and I never got to spend much time with him, sadly, but it's, yeah, player difference yeah, there, mate. Big time, then, and that's that's what I would caveat as well about my list because I know we're about to talk about the the games I actually played and super brief generalities. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of them, but and this is going to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but I would not recommend this list uh, for a beginner or intermediate player mm. because I properly had to work hard to get the results from it mm. using it and um, mm -hmm. you know what if i'd practiced you know half a dozen games more i would have it would have been easier for me um mm -hmm. as it was i only got one practice game with the list going into the event um but it was still hard work well you and, also and don't run more i mean this list wasn't a traditional static gun line but it had elements of that right and that isn't necessarily your regular play style no way, no way. Exactly. Um, so that took some adapting. Yeah. It's, it's all, I'm more about sort of mobility and reaction. Um, whereas, yeah, having, having these three fixed pieces. And I mean, let, let's let's just dive into it. Uh, round one was meet and engagement. And mm -hmm. my opponent was a nice local player called Dougie. Uh, mm -hmm. Dougie Doug, his nickname is Dougie Flames of War, Dougie Fow. He's a longtime gamer. And he mm -hmm. had a uh, all veteran American um, airborne army with obviously mm -hmm. armor elements and stuff in it, but uh, it was 12 order dice, main engagement. And so already the very first mission, I have to drag those three artillery pieces onto the board. Um, mm -hmm. And we played on a sort of Mediterranean style table. So there was, there was roads and buildings and it was all, you know, forest. There's, forest so there weren't great lines of sight but i had to drag these things on make sure my um spotters were well positioned to get decent lines of sight mm -hmm. and then i had to face off against a uh, veteran infantry lots of them he had a veteran sherman i for the life of me i can't remember which one it was but obviously it would then come with the gyro stabilized um gun mm -hmm. uh, so it was just prowling around i've had some of it condensed contained sorry with with different fire arcs from the howitzers but the one solid piece of advice using the romanian three gun army three howitzer army one gun should be ranging in on something one gun should be direct firing and one gun should be on ambush you've got to use the three guns differently um mm -hmm. If you if you sit there and try and range in with all three of them, you'll fire them really quickly. You'll miss, and then your opponent's like, well, "Okay, well that's the danger pass for this turn. I can now yeah. maneuver around the battlefield, you know, as much as I want." Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, but for for Dougie, I think my experience um, in the game paid off a bit more. I just sort of relaxed my way into the game, just chipped away, picked a few kills off, but. Uh, man of the match was the um, inexperienced medium mortar that I had. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And this was this is an error on Dougie's part, and I told him obviously debriefed at the end to make him you know give him the feedback, because um, he outflanked with a veteran jeep, with a veteran flamethrower team. Mm-hmm. He had a great target. My officer team was hanging out, so a jeep came on, flamethrower team jumped out, phwah, hosed the guys down. Three officers, you know, dead, and it's like, yep, that's yeah, that's, that's right. And then I had this moment of I had the mortar was um, cowering in this building, and I just mm-hmm. thought, you know what, let's just throw a hail mary, and the yep. the inexperienced guys charged the veteran flamer team and yes. killed it. They then consolidated, and at the end of the turn, it popped the jeep mm-hmm. that they that they arrived in, and you know that was that was it. But the cool thing for Druggy was that I told him at the end is like there was no move that he did that gave me the feeling of, you know, rubbing your hands going, oh, I've got you now. You know, yeah. he did solid maneuvers um, and it was just a good solid game that just I just sort of bled the dice from him um, as I went on. Game two mm-hmm. was against Paul Wickens and his Soviet army on the Stalingrad table and we played key positions, which was an mm-hmm. unholy nightmare. Um, we rolled five objectives. He got to place three of them. Uh, and he got won the dice roll for um, for choosing the table side. So all all the eggs were in his basket. Yeah. And again, key positions. I had to drag those three guns on, mm-hmm. make sure my spotters were in decent positions. But the table was so tight uh, with terrain that it was pretty much all down to um, indirect fire. Uh, I played a super aggressive game because we. Being two extremely experienced players, I said to him at the start, it's like, let's let's yeah. talk a little bit about the game before we get into it. It's like, I have lost. And I'm not just saying that to sort of psych you out. It's like, I have lost. You have got these objectives. Yeah. It's a maneuvering you know, type of mission. I have got limited maneuverability. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to him, it's like, I'm going to go full noise at your face to try and win this because I might as well, you know, What's the difference between losing a little and losing big? But I, I could, I could try and win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just started slugging it out, and um, you know it's hard to describe. But by turn two, we were already in each other's face. There was flamethrowers mm-hmm. getting shot off in turn two. Um, you know, I managed to blow his truck up, dump one of the engineer squads out uh, with a single shot Panzerfaust move and long range hit on a five. Uh, my flamer missed his veteran engineer unit but i still shot them then in turn three everything just failed it was just the epic amount of dice failures for me the dice mm. draw was wrong everything was failing his mm. stewart was up in my grill uh you know just dumping shots out yeah and it was that moment and we laughed at it then it was it was at that moment where a lesser player would have just folded in on themselves and let it go Whereas I just did not did not let him get get it done. There was even a moment where the TO came along and said, "You know how are you guys going?" And Paul, God bless him, he, it was true at the time. He's like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be rolled up soon." And he was right to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fought on tooth and nail, and I won't get into the boring part of it. My dice came back, his dice fell away, mm-hmm. and roundabouts. But inexperienced medium mortar once again. Uh, claimed an objective for me and dropped uh, 
a six to hit on his one of his engineer squads, ranged mm -hmm. in instantly, killed two. Next turn, dropped it on a two, killed the rest of them. So, uh, inexperienced medium mortar again, man of the match. <coughs> Love, it. Love it, man. Yeah, but with that loss, uh, mission three was then point defense as per the rule book, and mm -hmm. I was on the jungle runway table. So mm. that, that runway was at least 10 inches wide of open ground. I was going to say, that's a kill ground for your howitzers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But only if you're the defender. And I was not the defender. Uh, my, oh. opponent, my opponent was a gentleman called Max. And he had a um, US army. Mm -hmm. So he was defending. He chose to defend. Oh, of course he would. Yeah. And with there not being any prep bombardment, all his units didn't have to spend the first turn um, yeah. shedding pins. So mm -hmm. he um, had, I think it was three big blobs of infantry, US infantry with bars and you know rifles, two engineer squads and dodges. He had a Hellcat, pro Hellcat with wrecking. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heavy howitzer. Um, you know, so I'm I'm having to come on the board, and he's already got the heavy howitzer on ambush. It's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, so I had no, to. Right. The I had, long time is scary. Yeah, yeah. So I had to feed him an infantry squad to trigger his ambush on the first turn. Then I rolled my tank on, and I got pure luck. Managed to shoot it off the board. He failed the or uh, he failed the morale check. Pure luck. <laughs> so, but the problem for Max was that I I got. The, my spotters were in good positions, dragged the guns on, and then somewhere between sort of turns two and three, uh, I landed two indirect sixes on big infantry squads, mm -hmm. uh, and they were clumped, and I killed them, and they failed the morale checks. Uh, one of the howitzers managed to catch another infantry blob on an ambush order, uh, hitting on a five, same effect. You know, I yeah. got the kills and because um, they were blobbed up and they filled the morale check. And then I was just going indirect on the, he had one infantry squad on a flank, holding one of the objectives, and eventually it ranged in, wiped them out. And then, man of the match, the inexperienced medium mortar, who had not fired a single shot, just weaved his way through the jungle, weave, 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 weave. Mm -hmm. And he claimed the two out of three, well, he claimed the second objective I needed to win point defense. Awesome. Um, nice. the, other the, the other objective I had poured, you know, engineers and troops and everything into to, to wipe it out. But this, yep, inexperienced medium water pew, pew, and survived Dude. the game. So that's people always forget how mobile a medium mortar is and it's a three-man team so it's a small yeah, yeah. three-man squad and yeah, yeah man love it uh the fact it that was... you're running see that's why i always run mine as regular because i like mm -hmm. to run them out and jump on objectives or as you did assault occasionally yeah and i'm loving this this inexperienced medium mortar love that yeah. you're throwing down because he was yeah, absolutely done so yeah uh, so game four was against johnny ferg and his um Japanese list and it was in sectors mm -hmm. at last I got to deploy the guns oh, deploy the medium howitzers uh, and again though with no prep bombardment I deployed my entire army um, mm -hmm. and also because there was no multi-launcher on the other side mm -hmm. deployed the whole thing uh, 
you know the ins and outs of the game it was it was really nip tuck but the big critical thing that happened was that his forward artillery observer dropped it right in the guts of my army killed my officer team halved uh infantry team but it put pins on both the trucks that had engineers in them it put pins on a artillery piece and it put pins on the tank yeah i Ouch. failed i am sure we did the count i failed 11 rally checks 11 rally checks two on the tank so it was reversing backwards uh both the trucks failed both the engineers inside failed twice uh so it wasn't until turn five when everything started to, to really sort of fire up for me and he and johnny knew that that was just horrific luck and it's and it's rally orders you know on 10 and 9 and 8 it's mm -hmm. rally orders particularly against that Japanese list that is dependent on you taking those pins and then yeah. not hitting them as they get closer. Like, ouch. Yeah. It was, it was, it was hard, hard work, but um, I managed to, to keep in the game with, you know, the other two howitzers were still firing. Uh, some of the smaller units were still maneuvering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we won't go into, again, won't go into the ins and outs of the battle. It was really, really close. Right. Um, but the inexperienced medium mortar had to duck duck a sniper shot straight away. Uh, mm -hmm. Then it ran into hide behind a building. It managed to hit on two indirect sixes on one of the militia squads. You're never going to kill a militia squad like that. No, but it no, no. it killed it thinned out the herd a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But then right at the death, it managed to run into his um, table quarter to be. So it was three points towards the mm -hmm. win. Inexperienced medium water. Win. Survived again. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Love it. And, and then, so the final game was uh, round five, and it was double envelopment. Dead set. Double envelopment. It's like, you've got to be joking. You have mm -hmm. got to be joking. Um, but I got to deploy the three howitzers. I was up against a Soviet list um, run by a gentleman called Phil Mason very very experienced player <clears throat> and his soviet list was a uh, you know multi-gun stewart three bren carriers two with engineer squads one with a, mm -hmm. another five-man veteran submachine gun squad heavy howitzer there was a machine gun jeep there was bomb dogs um sniper yeah uh, officer commissar it, all the tool the, you know i'm hearing the greatest hits right there yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it's all 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 good stuff. Yeah. All the good stuff. And he, you know, he's pushing down one flank, I'm pushing up another flank. Uh, and look, I only won this game through absolute luck. And I said on three separate occasions to Phil, it's like, oh mate, I'm up against it. I'm gonna to have to throw a Hail Mary here. And the mm -hmm. Hail Mary pass was coming from the howitzer. And <laughs> the first Hail Mary I threw, it was an in, obviously an indirect shot via a spotter. And he's like, mm -hmm. oh, you better, you might want to check the range on that. I'm like, oh, gee, you're right, I better check the range. Because it was from literally mm -hmm. one end of the table almost to the other. And I was like, I was in by like two inches, you know, the max range of a medium house or 60 inches. I was like 58 mm -hmm. inches. Like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Winged, winged the Hail Mary and went indirect on one of his brain carriers got it 
really? you know, and I had to throw another couple of Hail Marys and they were, you know, properly, properly out there. But in the end, double envelopment, we both managed to get five units each off the board. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the final Hail Mary I threw was against a, a whatever leftover of, it was like four engineers that were left over from whatever combats they'd been in. They were maybe seven inches from the board edge. And I had a howitzer that had the angle indirect fire on it. And I got them. Mm -hmm. And I wiped them all out. I clipped the brain carrier, didn't get it. But the Bren carrier then ended up being six and a half inches away from a, a from uh, another howitzer that only had two guys left, and it popped as well at the end of the turn. Um, oh. That was a huge hail mary. Yeah, but that would be the inexperienced uh, medium mortar uh, on turn seven managed to run on to the secondary objective and claim it. Yeah. So, yeah, he survived all five games, and in all five games, he achieved things of import. So, best 35 points I've ever spent. In the olden days of 40k, when we were playing uh, in a lot of events here, I would have expected you to paint some battle armor on or battle honors on that space marine armor. So, maybe those dudes yeah. need a little, uh, a little ribbon on their jackets for uh, the next time they play. Maybe, Hero of was... the Motherland. Yep, right. They were they were amazing. Um, but look, that as that got me four wins and a loss, and that placed me second overall. And it was it was exceptionally um, mm. hard fought. There was mm. huge amounts of unluck. You know that turn against Paul mm. Wickens when just oh, I can't describe how much it collapsed. Uh, the eleven or so rally checks that all failed mm -hmm. against Johnny it was just how is that even possible? And then the extreme good luck against yeah. Phil, and it was only good luck against Phil and against Max and the um, point defense that, that got me those wins. So, you know, it was tough, but the prize pool was quite, you know, was quite good. <coughs> and there were two um, boxes of the new starter set, a gentleman's war available mm -hmm. for, for picking up. I actually was very proud of myself when I decided not to pick one of them up. And I went straight for the super special limited edition miniature, yes. the German sniper from Enemy at the Gates, Major Erwin Koenig. Mm -hmm. um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah, my wife told me, it's like, so you just got a model of Ed Harris. That's your prize. And just looked at me, he's like, yeah, but it's Ed Harris from Enemy at the Gates. Um, exactly right and but it also came down to i wanted that miniature really badly for my winter german army exactly. and in the end i had to pick up this fancy new box of toys it would just be greed i don't need more miniatures it's just that would pure mm -hmm. greed um take something you yeah. want so and i did and i'm very awesome, thankful man. well i want to touch on something you mentioned before and i'm going to coin the phrase that you used earlier in the episode it's one of those things that <clears throat> what often makes a great player in bolt action versus a good player in bolt action is knowing that swings and roundabouts are part of the system yep. and not throwing your toys out of the pram because you've had a bad turn or because a couple of things haven't gone your way bolt action is a game that the dice turn and the dice turn quickly 
And as we say on this show all the time, bolt action happens. And if you are able to, as you've done in several of your games, hold on tooth and nail to stay in the game, the dice will turn back in your favor. And especially over the course of a five game event, really remembering that and not losing your head and starting to feel because it's easy to feel like you're stepping in quicksand and there's nothing you can do and it's you know game over and it's the end of the world but if you're able to look for those opportunities when things aren't going your way you can pull yourself out of those situations and that can make a big difference yeah and i think what you've done this weekend is a perfect example of that yeah Uh, one of the key ones and again the game against paul wickens was he got his stewart rolled up and he got the angle on one of my trucks with engineers on it, fired, somehow, somehow did not destroy the truck. I think he got um, like a couple of glances and rolled mm-hmm. a one and a two. So there was the truck was on three pins and the engineers were on three pins. And I took the chance on, I rallied both of them in the hope of drawing that first dice in the next turn so that mm-hmm. I was ready. And I did, and they jumped out, and it was glorious. It was Panzerfaust winging everywhere, flamers just flying it. Oh, yeah, it was solid gold. But I had the head switched on, and I was calm enough to realize it's like, okay, play for the next turn, get ready Mm -hmm. for it, you know, clear those pins, and then just just sit and pray. And and it worked, and it paid off. Um, Exactly. So, yeah, keep your head in the game. That's it. Well, I think the other big takeaway from this event is, look, I have never been to a Warlord official event on the home soil of the UK. I've only been to them down here. And listening to podcasts, I've heard some criticism of Warlord events uh, in the past for different reasons. But it sounds like this event, and you are not associated with Warlord, you're a totally independent player, you had a wonderful time at this event. And I hear that this event from other people as well was just a lot of fun and well run. Yep. Would you agree with that? 100%. Absolutely. If, if I were to be told that this event would be repeated next week, I would go. Mm-hmm. I'd take a different list, but I would go. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, man. Triple, triple Howitzers was good fun, but it it's not my play style and i know that sounds so weird to say it's like you know you got four wins and a loss you finish second it's like it was not my play style and i really really had to work hard and worked hard and luck was more of a factor um than anything else especially in the game against max you know when you wipe out your opponents like you know three out of four infantry units when you've rolled Mm -hmm. well and he's rolled poorly and i said to them it's like you haven't made any mistakes and I'm not, I'm not celebrating what I'm doing because that was not skill. I've not skillfully beat you here. I, just dumb luck has, has yeah. undone you. But taking those lists that are outside of your comfort zone, even though they may be you know, considered strong by some, taking that and stretching yourself and doing something different makes you a better player because you then are aware of how those lists run. And you might discover this may, may actually be my play style, but also more to the point, it tells you what to do when you're facing them in the future. And it's really cool to see an experienced player like yourself running a list that is counterintuitive to their usual play style as a learning experience Usually. and doing well with it. It's great, man. 
hugely. Um, but yeah, if I had to face my own list, I know I know what I would do against it. I'm not going to tell you, though. That's for another time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Al, we have been running for a while, and I could talk about both Megatron and the Scottish Open again and again and again for hours. But we should probably let you get to bed. My good man, it is always a pleasure to see your face and to hear your voice and just to talk shop, brother. It has been too long. Please come back again soon and uh, let's let's talk bolt action or anything else because I know we keep threatening to talk Babylon 5 miniature games slash Blood Bowl slash all sorts oh, of other things. Could we do that? Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I think a few people around. in the audience may have just perked up a little, but uh, yeah. Wow. Babylon we'll 5 4, second edition. Oh my God. Oh my God, we could do it. We could do it. We could do it. We but Brad, it. listen to me. I am so happy to always come on to um, to your show on to Cast Dice. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Right That's on. the Facebook page, folks. And if you are looking to request an episode, and I did, this is Al and I talking, coming up with the topic. But people did request on the page that I talk about non-Australian events. So ladies and gentlemen, this is for you. Uh, So this is discussing what it's like in other parts of the world. If you are interested in more event coverage, I know we are talking or have talked to the TO of Sudlich. I know we've talked now, of course, about Megatron and the Scottish Open. And uh, look, we, we talk about other events all the time. If event coverage isn't your thing, message the page and let us know. If you would like a certain format, if you want more of this or you want more list discussion uh, or if you want more uh, discussion of missions, whatever it is, please go to the Cast Eyes Facebook page as Al spelled it out and message and let us know what you want to hear because we want you to get what you want from the show. Anyway, I could waffle on, but Al, as always, thank you again for joining us. And folks at home, thank you so much for listening. It is appreciated. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
Back by 